And so today, let's let his word speak to us. And I want us to go to the book of Psalms. And, and there is a classic chapter in the book of Psalms that speaks about, um, about kids and about parents. But it speaks about humanity. It speaks about life and trust. And uh, I think that's important that we hear that. Because if we can't learn to trust God in the little things, we can't trust Him in the big things. If we can't trust Him in the big things, then, then what can we trust Him with? And so I want uh, us to direct our attention to that. And uh, as we do, I think that God's going to speak to us. In fact, I, I don't think I know that God is going to speak to us through His Word. So Lord, we ask you today to speak to us through your word what you would have us to hear. There are all sorts of people in this room today. Some who feel like, well, that fits me perfect. And some who say, uh, that's just not where I fit in. But we all fit in to the family of God. And we all can hear your word and let it come alive in us and let it plant things in us and create things in us that we didn't even know were there. So Lord, we open our hearts to you. You, Holy Spirit, are the teacher of the church. So teach us today. Teach us that we might learn and be disciples taught of the Lord with great peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's turn to Psalm 127. Now, most of the time, we often make assumptions that if we're reading out of the Psalms, we're reading something David wrote. But you know, sometimes we're writing... Sometimes we're reading something the sons of Aaron wrote. Sometimes we're reading some the sons of Korah wrote. Sometimes we're reading something uh, Asaph wrote. In this case, Psalm 127, it's a song of Solomon. And Solomon wrote this one by the Holy Spirit. And this is a song of ascents. So this is, uh, musically, often these songs would, would go and, and ascend musically, but there were often songs that they would sing as they ascended the hill. Sometimes as a group would, would, would march together on feast days up to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And so a song of ascents is both a musical term and, a, and an actual, literal, we're going up the mountain term. And uh, it, it builds on itself, it grows in, in crescendos, it grows in, in, um, uh, in tones. And in, in Psalm 127, he says this, and I love this because uh, it, it, it puts the importance, it puts, it puts all pride away and puts the hope where it belongs. In Psalm 127, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds the house, we're laboring in vain when we try to build it. He says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Other translation says he gives to his beloved sleep. And you can, both ways I believe are scripturally accurate. God gives his beloved sleep. If you have had trouble sleeping, hold on to this scripture. God gives his beloved sleep. But why are we able to sleep so soundly and so, and so easily is because we know that uh, I'm not wasting time sleeping, that God can give to me even in my sleep. Then he says this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And some of you need that scripture in front of you regularly so that you can remember that. Children are a gift of the Lord. Children are a gift of the Lord. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. 
Now, often we isolate these verses, and they are good in isolation, but I want us to see it as a chapter. It's a short section of Scripture, and this is a song. It all flows together. So often when we've talked about unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, we've talked about building churches or building, uh, we've talked about, you know, building uh, a, a dream or things like that. But let's just focus for a minute on the context, and, and, and this will apply to all sorts of things in your life, but let's focus for a minute on your family. Because we've got moms and dads in the room, and I want you to consider this, that often in the Bible when it talks about your house, it's not talking about your physical house. It's talking about your family. It's talking about your legacy. It's talking about your kids. He says, unless the Lord builds that house, we're laboring in vain who build it. Did you notice that the people who are laboring are still working? And they're working hard. It's not saying that you're lazy. It's saying unless God is building it, you'll work just as hard as the next guy, but you'll be doing it in vain. What does vain mean? Without power, without effect, useless. You're wasting your time. If God isn't building your house, you're wasting your effort. And you might be working hard, but seeing not the fruit of the Spirit, seeing the fruit of your own labor. He says this, then he goes on to say, unless the Lord, wow, unless the, the, unless the pastor body checks the pulpit, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. That's a big one, isn't it? Parents, don't raise your hand, but ask yourself this question. How many times have you stayed awake worried about your kids? How, many, how, how, much, how much of the carpet have you worn out pacing back and forth concerned about your kids? Look, I'm a pastor, and, and I don't worry much about my four-year-old, but I sure have worried about the church. You wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how much stuff goes down when you're away. That's often when stuff goes down. So I've worn, I've worn holes in other people's carpets, pacing back and forth, in hotels back and forth, praying. And, 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 and you know, we think that if we're not worrying, we don't care. If we're not worrying, we're just, you know, we're being flippant. But the truth of the matter is your worry does not fix anything. And Jesus says, which one of you can add even a little bit to your life by worrying? Not one. In fact, science, well, <laughs> the Bible told us this way before science did, but science backed it up, is that worry will not add to your life. It will take away from your life. Worry is opposite of faith. It, it, is, it runs in opposition to it because what we're saying is, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to fix this? Now, maybe you're in the present right now and that's what you're saying. What can I do to make this better? What can I say that'll break through? What can I do that'll, whether that be a relationship you have with somebody, whether that be your kids, whether it be something else, your job, whatever it is, what can I do to fix this? What you're doing is you're saying, what can I do what can I do to fix this? And unless you're willing to give that hammer to the one who can actually do something, you're not only going to be wasting your time, you're going to be stepping in the way of what God wants to do. So we think, well, if I, if I don't worry, what kind of parent am I if I don't worry? What kind of, what kind of kid am I if I don't worry? What kind of uh, friend am I if I don't worry? But he says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Here's the good news. God is the one that guards the city. Do you trust God to guard your city? 
Do you trust that God's going to do that because you're staying awake worrying about it, but you can't do anything? What, what would it look like for the watchman to keep awake in vain? Let's just think of that literally. What would happen if a watchman kept awake, but it was vain? It means he's awake, he's looking, but the enemy still comes. He doesn't see them or they come and there's nothing he can do about it anyways. He says, unless the Lord's guarding the city, it's, it's waste of your time and your energy to stay awake and try to guard something. When we try to guard something, when we try to guard it, when we try to keep it, when we try to make sure nothing bad happens, and this is the problem, you can't go through life trying to protect your kids or yourself or your friends from anything bad ever happening. It just doesn't work. And if that's your goal is I will keep them from the evil of the world. I, will, I mean, you are a shelter. You are a covering for your children. But if you think you can keep them from all that just by, just by being an overprotective parent, you, you'll do the opposite. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's a waste of your time to stay awake worrying. Stay up at night. And listen, let me tell you something. I believe that God hears the prayer of someone in distress. I believe he hears the cry of his people, but I've prayed in faith and I've prayed in worry, and one of those prayers was effective. Now, it's, it's good for you to, if you're worried, give it to the Lord, but be honest about that worry. Don't turn that worry into a spiritual thing. Don't turn that worry into something God gave you. Listen, worry means I don't really believe God's going to do this. When you believe God is, you switch from worry to faith. It's okay to start the prayer in a state of worry, to say, God, you know this, I'm worried right now. How many times does David do that in the Psalms? He starts out being honest with God. Honestly, God, I'm concerned. People are trying to kill me. Honestly, God, I feel like I'm going to die. The chords, as we talked about earlier. We talked about that a couple Wednesdays ago. The cords of death are encircling me. The grave is surrounding me, is wrapped around me. All these things, you feel like you're surrounded, like it's closing in, like you have no options, like you can't move. What does he say, though? He says, I cried out to the Lord. The Lord shook heaven. The Lord shook earth. And he delivered me because he delights in me. And he says, he brought me to a broad place. Look at the opposite. Look at the contrast of he saying, when I was worried, I felt like the world was closing in around me. I felt like the grave was closing in around me. I felt like all my trouble had bound me up so I couldn't move. How many of you have felt like you had no options? Like you tried everything, and the more you tried, it was like those Chinese handcuffs. The more you pulled, the tighter it got. The more you struggled, the worse it got. You guys, you know, when I was a kid, I genuinely thought there'd be mission trips where I ran into quicksand because all the cartoons had quicksand. All the adventure books have quicksand. I've never, now that I'm an adult, I've never heard of anybody dying in quicksand. But like that was a thing as a kid. That was a plot device in a lot of stories. <laughs> have you, any, any of you encountered quicksand in your life? You have? Was it, was it a real struggle for you? Did you stay away from it? Caleb. Caleb. <laughs> Checks out. Yep. <laughs> well, at least in the cartoon version of Quicksand, they said, don't struggle. You struggle, you make it worse, right? You ever felt that way? It's true. <laughs> Miracle Boy over there says it's true. 
Uh, some, some of you feel like trouble finds you. Some of you go looking for it yourself. <laughs> you feel like, well, I've, I've run out of options. I don't, I, I don't feel like, I, I, the more I do, the, the tighter things get. And then he said, when I cried out to God, he delivered me. We read that chapter where it talks about God shaking heaven, shaking earth, doing all these things. And it says that he came to my rescue. He delighted me. He drew me out of many waters and he set me in a broad place. Yeah. And that broad place is a place where you can breathe again. Yeah. Yeah. That broad place was to feel like you can move again. And that's what happens when we cry out to the Lord. That word cry is a Hebrew word, which is not a, like I said, we talked about this a couple Wednesdays ago. It's not a sophisticated prayer. It's not a put together prayer. It's a call for help. And in fact, that particular Hebrew word is almost like a shriek. It's a high pitched cry for help. We've all been at that point at some point. And some of you parents are saying, yeah, I, I get that. I totally hear that pitch in my ear. I know the screech that he's talking about because <laughs> I stuck a pillow to my face and I did that. And he brought me into a broad place. When he says here, unless the Lord's guarding the city, those nights staying awake trying to guard something that you can't guard is a waste of time. It's not only a waste of time, it does the opposite of what you think it should do. We have to begin to say, there's only one who can guard my family. There's only one who can guard my church. There's only one who can guard my soul. There's only one guardian of my soul, and that's the shepherd, Jesus Christ. There's only one guardian of the church. There's only one guardian of my life, and he's well able to do it. The next verse says this in verse 2. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. Now, he's not, he's not uh, saying it's bad for you to be an early bird or it's bad for you to be a night owl. But he says, if you're getting up early and you're going to bed late trying to get everything done because you feel if you don't do it, nobody will do it, it's vain. Vanity, vanity. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes. He said, vanity, vanity, chasing after the wind. Anybody catch the wind? You can't catch the wind. It's vain for you to try Say, well, if I don't, I got to get up early. I got to go to bed late. If I don't do it, no one will. He says, what you're doing is you're putting all your trust in you, the great almighty you. How effective is that? To eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. Do you know, do you trust that God is able to give to you even when you're sleeping? See, that's the, that's the test of trust, isn't it? Because sleep, I'm not doing a thing. So my trust has got to be if I'm going to sleep. Now listen, a guy like King David, for instance, if he were to go to sleep in a time of battle, he'd have to really trust his guards. Because the moment you go to sleep, you open yourself up to attack. The moment you go to sleep, somebody could do to you what he did to King Saul and sneak up on you while you're sleeping and cut Cut your throat or you know, just cut a piece of fabric off. But instead, when you go to sleep, you're saying, I trust that I'm safe and I trust that somebody's doing what I can't do. You know, the, there's a parable in the Bible about a man who goes to sleep and when he wakes up, like he's a farmer and he plants and he does his work. But when he wakes up, he says something's grown and he doesn't know how it grew, but it did. 
And you know, this is one of the things that we have to realize is that you do your part. Jesus, or not, not Jesus, I'm sorry, the Bible teaches us that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed, time, and there will be harvest. You put the seed in the ground, you water it, but ultimately God gives the growth, right? Any of you farmers think it's a great idea for you to just sit outside and just and watch the dirt and massage the dirt and try to pull the plant up as it's coming up like you're wasting your time. At some point, you got to trust in the laws that God put into place. It's the same thing with our family. If you view yourself as the provider, now God will use you to provide, but if you view yourself as the end, and if I'm asleep, if I'm, if I'm resting, none of this gets done then we've stepped into our work and we've stepped out of the grace of God. And we will see the fruit of our work instead of the fruit of his work. Now, I had to learn this as a pastor because I had older pastors who said, we nearly burned ourselves out. I remember being with one pastor and, and uh, he had to miss a Sunday because he was, you know, his daughter, or sorry, his, his son had just gotten married. And, and instead of rushing back and, and cutting the, the festivity short and rushing back. He said, you know what I've learned? God can take care of his church. And the church will survive without me on one Sunday. But he said, I didn't always think that way. And I used to bust my back, trying to be back and trying to get everything done. And what it was, was pride. It won't get done without me. So this is something we've all got to learn, is that there's trust in sleep, isn't there? There's trust in tithing. I mean, isn't it, isn't it kind of weird to think that if we gave God 10%, that somehow the 90% would go further than the 100% would have? That's trust in God. God was the one that told his people, before they knew anything about crop rotation, he told them, give the land a rest every seven years. What a waste, right? Do you realize you're giving up a year of harvest? But God said, trust me with this. He said that with the Sabbath. Trust me in this. You think you're going to get more work done if you work all seven days, but keep that day holy and watch what I do. Yeah. Manna was an object lesson of trust. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about, manna? The, the, when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and, and they got hungry and the Lord provided food from the sky that just appeared on the ground. And the word manna is the Hebrew word for what is it? What's it? Like, that's the word they use. What is it? Now, I've seen some casseroles that could have that title on them. It might as well be manna. <laughs> what is it? But this was good food. But God told them something. He said, when you go out every morning, collect manna. But only collect enough for that day. Now, you're going to be tempted to say, what if it doesn't come tomorrow? Let's, let's gather up for a few days. He said, if they ever did that, then as soon as they ate the day's worth and they left the others for the next day, worms would eat it and nothing would be left. And the only day that didn't happen was when they gathered extra on Friday so that on the Sabbath, they, they didn't have to work. And God let it last two days on the weekend. Every other day, it only lasts for one day and then it went bad. You say, God, why can't you just preserve the food? Let us gather enough. Because if he did that, then they'd start to say, what if it doesn't come tomorrow? Let's gather a lot. This way, they had to trust God every day. He's going to give us today our daily bread. 
What you're saying is, because we have a tendency to just try to heap up, because what if God doesn't come through tomorrow? We're, he's coming through today, let's just take advantage of it. Instead, they had to live in a state of constant trust that there'd be manna tomorrow. That tested their faith. Tested their faith to give up a whole day of work. Tested their faith to go to bed instead of staying up and working. You guys know, it might seem like you'll get more work done if you don't sleep, but what will happen? If you don't sleep, the work you're doing gets less and less effective. And if you'll sleep, God will use that. God gives to his beloved even in his sleep. God gives to his beloved sleep. Then he says this in verse 3. Behold. That means, listen to me, guys. (laughs) Pay attention. Children are a gift from the Lord. Isn't it funny God had to tell you that? Look, children are a gift from the Lord. That's what behold means, look. Look, guys, children are a gift. Don't argue with me, they're a gift. Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Then he says in verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, this goes counterculture today, doesn't it? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What does a warrior do with an arrow? He aims it, and he shoots it. Our culture today says, you're aiming your child? How, how oppressive of you. Let the child decide where they're going to go. Here's the problem. Children are children. They don't know what you think they know. I know. I was with kid once. I remember. I remember thinking really stupid things. I had my moments of brilliance, I guess, that I thought were brilliant, but I also had my moments of really, really big stupidity because I was growing. My prefrontal cerebral cortex was nice and soft. Do you know why it was soft? So I could learn lots of stuff. But do you know what that, that part of your brain does later in life? It hardens. And you don't learn things as easy But what you do better than you used to be able to do is think ahead. That's the part of your brain that plays that little movie. What if I run out to the street? And your brain brain plays you a little movie. You will die. (laughs) And you go, okay, I won't do that. What if I jump off the roof with my snowboard? You will break your leg. Oh, I won't do that then. But when you're a kid, that part of your brain is just used for soaking up knowledge. So... You're not thinking of consequences way down the road. You're thinking, that would be fun. (laughs) That'd be cool. We should totally do that. I mean, you wouldn't believe the stuff me and my friends thought was a good idea. And we're all amazed in the room today. We're all amazed we're alive today, and here we are. (laughs) But here's the thing. I believe in letting God speak to your kids and letting God speak through your kids. But I also believe that God has given us parents for a reason. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Train up a child. Set them in a direction. And listen, I, I know there are kids that were trained right and they still made their own decisions later. Some of them made bad decisions. That's not the parents' fault. Any more that it's God's fault that Adam sinned. If you feel all this guilt as a parent, my kids, they did stupid things. God's kids did stupid things too. Are you going to blame him for being a bad dad? No. If his, if his kids sinned, the first batch he had, 
messed up, then, then, you know, take a break on yourself. Give yourself a little breathing room. It's not all on you. Once again, when you put it all on you, you're saying, I didn't guard the city enough. We do need to be guardians. He doesn't say don't guard. He doesn't say don't be a watchman. But he says, unless you're letting God guard the city, you're wasting your time staying awake. I believe there's power in a praying mother who God quickens in the middle of the night, says, wake up and pray. But there's a big difference between God quickening you to pray and you staying up because you're worried. Huge difference. And I know there were plenty of times, I remember one time I almost got hit by a car. I say one time I almost got hit by a car. I got hit, almost hit by a car several times, but I'm picking out one instance of that. <laughs> One time, I mean, we used to do stupid things. We used to get behind the, you don't know about this, but we used to get behind cars. <laughs> Back when rollerblades were kind of cool, remember those days? Um, we would get our rollerblades and we'd get around Bud Miller Park and we'd grab on bumpers and we'd just hitch a ride on the back of cars and, you know, <laughs> and people would try to lose you by speeding up, which only made it better. And I remember sparks flying from your rollerblades. And we would do fun. But I remember one time I almost seriously got hit by a car and it was bad. And I got home and mom said, what happened? When? Like 10 minutes ago, what happened? How'd you know about that? Because I was praying the Holy Ghost, you know? God told me to pray. Well, I said, I almost got hit by a car, but I didn't. So, you know, it's all good. But I didn't know it's probably all good because my mom was praying. So it's not wrong to be a watchman. It's wrong to be a watchman and think you're defending the city. You got to know that God's defending the city. Arrows in the hand of a warrior implies that you are aiming your children. They cannot, at a young age, aim themselves. Yeah. People are saying, well, my five-year-old told me this is what they are. This is what they want to do with their life. Your five-year-old does not know things like that yet. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let your five-year-old tell you how to run your business. See how it goes. Let your five-year-old take the steering wheel. See how that goes. Go to the airport. Tell your five-year-old, get us to the gate on time. See how that goes. Your five-year-old doesn't know these things. There's the art of training up a teenager where you give them more and more responsibility and you let them hear the voice of God. Now, a five-year-old can hear the voice of God, can't they? But Samuel heard the voice of God clearly but had to be instructed on what to do. Do you know that Samuel needed an adult in his life? He went and said, I don't know, why do you keep calling me? There's a reason God's voice sounded like Eli's voice because God was speaking through Eli all of Samuel's life. Samuel comes to him and says, I, I hear you. Why do you keep calling me? Eli says, I I'm not calling you. He goes back to sleep. Gets up again. Why are you calling me, Eli? He says, I'm not calling you. Go back to sleep. Gets up again. Says, why are you calling me? Eli says, it's God. So next time, say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel didn't know what to say, but somebody instructed him on how to say it. And he had been trained in the ways of the Lord. You see, we forget Samuel wasn't just a kid off the street. Samuel had spent five years of his life being trained in how to listen to God, being trained in how to worship God. There needs to be somebody training your children. It's got to be you. Now, here's the good thing. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, once again, you don't set the targets. See, it's a good thing 
for people to say, you can be whatever you want to be. If you work hard, you can be whatever you want to be in life. I think that's a good message, but I think it's an incomplete message. Here's the message godly parents give to their kids. Not you can be whatever you want to be. You can be whatever God wants you to be. Because when you say that, you're teaching your child, I'm not deciding for you what you should do with your life, but neither are you. Let God show you what you're going to do with your life. And ultimately, you're not the one that sets their path or sets their course, but God will guide your hands. I remember when I first... um, when I first learned how to shoot a bow and arrow, and I loved bow and arrow growing up. I had, these, I had little, the kid size, and I grew and I grew until I, dad let me use his long bow, which is about that tall, and is the kind you had to step in and uh, string it. And, and you know, it's the old school bow. It's not a compound bow. It's a straight up bow. And I remember I'd, get, I'd, I'd spend so much time in the backyard shooting that thing. And even though I had the arm protector, I'd have rashes on my arm and my fingers would be sore. But I'd go this. But I remember dad getting behind me and, and holding my hand and aiming that bow. And I, that's what the father does for us is we're aiming our children. He's behind you holding your arm up saying, okay, aim them this way. Now shoot. We were doing Bible, we were doing Bible study in Loon Lake uh, last Thursday. Not last Thursday, Thursday before last. And uh, we're in this... Uh, wonderful family's house and this little girl is this little four-year-old girl and she just turned four and she is buzzing around the living room like nothing I've ever seen and she's you know I don't know how she has the energy and she's talking at she's talking into both my ears at the same time and I don't know how that's happening but she's buzzing all over the place and she's you know and you know how your kids get when there's company over and they just act differently when there's company over some of your kids get quieter but some of your kids get crazy when company is over this one was on the manic side. She was, a little, she was all over the place. And she says, guess what, guess what, guess what? I said, what? My dad taught me how to shoot a gun. And I said, oh, Lord, help us all. Like, <laughs> we should get on the phone and warn people right now. Facebook, warn people. And she had this little pink gun, pink 22, that her dad had bought her sister. And she learned how to shoot it, and she's four years old. And, but he was there the whole time. Don't worry. She wasn't running around with a gun. I thought, if this kid is shooting a gun, I don't know if I'm safe in Lloyd Minster. <laughs> but we all remember, some of you grew up on, in, in rural areas where you learned how to shoot a gun. You remember what it was like. Your parents didn't just throw you a gun and say, go shoot it. They stood behind you. They helped you aim. They, they taught you how to handle it safely. Well, you know, in the same way the Father does for us. You're not a parent that has to figure out where to aim your kids. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, you shoot that, you aim and you shoot. But it's ultimately God that gives the target. It's ultimately God that shows you where to aim that, that child. And those children are not to be just thrown out into the wind and I hope they land somewhere. Can you imagine a battle where all the archers picked up arrows and just shot them into the sky and say, hope they land somewhere good. That would be ineffective. You aim before you shoot. The arrows don't aim themselves. You aim them. So we're seeing something here. We're seeing a cooperation between God and people. And I want to bring you to this thought as we begin to close this. I want to bring you to what the Apostle Paul said. He said something that he said to Timothy. In two places he talks about guarding something in us. And I want to read you both of those things. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit 
I'm reading out the, uh, I'm going to switch to the New American Standard here. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty tra- chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. He says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. But then, later on, he goes down in 2 Timothy, and he says this. If you were just to turn real quick, if you're following along in your Bible, some of you are just listening. In 2 Timothy, he's, or let's, let's do 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So God has entrusted you with a treasure, and he says you guard it. But then he goes on and he says this. If we were to skip down. Praise God. Lost my spot. <laughs> Later he goes down and he says that God is able to keep what I've entrusted him until that day. He says, I know whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. That is the day of Jesus Christ. And so what we're seeing here is that there's something you need to guard, and there's something that he needs to guard. That's 2 Timothy 1.12. So in the same chapter, he says, you guard this, but then he says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. So there's something God entrusted to you and you're supposed to guard it. And there's something you entrust to him and he guards it. Now notice what God entrusted to you, you're not supposed to guard with your own self, strength or your own wisdom. You guard through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. I believe parenting is in a job worthy of the anointing and can't be done without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can't be done effectively without the Holy Spirit. Parenting is just as much pastoring as what I'm doing today, if not more. Some of you say, well, I'm not a parent. Well, this applies to every area of your life. There are things you've got to guard. You've got to guard what God entrusted to you, and now you've got to trust something with him, to him because whatever you entrust to God, he'll guard. But what you refuse to trust God with, you're on your own. If you refuse to trust God with your kids, if you think you're doing them a favor by worrying about them and texting them every five minutes and seeing where they are, if you think you're doing them a favor by being just anxious all the time, then the truth of the matter is you are saying, God, I, don't, I trust you, but I don't trust you enough. This, I've got to do this because I don't think you will. You got to say, God, I trust you with it. You're able to guard. And then God says, now I've entrusted you with something. You guard it through the Holy Spirit. There are things God's entrusted us with. God entrusted us. Now, if you're a parent, God entrusted you with that child. And there are things in them that he's going to help you to guard through the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, he is the guardian of their souls. There are things that as we go through life, we learn, I've got to do my part. You know, a farmer doesn't say, well, God gives the growth. 
So I'll just sit on my couch and watch TV and, and just let it happen. No farmer has to do his part. What's his part? Put the seed in the ground. Water it. Make sure it gets irrigated. Make sure the, the ground is fertilized. I'll do my part, but ultimately God will give the growth. You do your part. But the true power is the power of God. And I want to tell you, I believe that some people today need to be set free from the vanity of waking up early and staying up late, whether it be through worrying or whether it be your hard work trying to get everything done. There is nothing wrong with hard work. Hard work is biblical. Observe the ant, Proverbs says. Look at the ant. But Jesus also tells us, don't just look at the ant. What does he also tell us? Look at the birds. They neither toil nor spin. They neither plant nor harvest, and yet God clothes them. So don't worry about your life, he says. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. For your father knows that you need all these things. It's his good pleasure to give them to you. You seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is a day and age, guys, where it is, you know, T and I, like I said, we, we just got a little one. I'm looking around at the culture today, and it is it's messed up. Schools are messed up. Society has a view of do whatever you want, which is the same view society had when the flood came. In the book of Judges, when they had a judge where God would give them someone to lead them and, 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 and spiritually lead the people of God, they prospered. And then when that person died, they always went through this period of not doing well at all. And the Bible says in that period when the judge died, each one did what was right in their own eyes. And what happened? Society fell apart. So we've got a society that says... Everybody do what you feel. Well, I've, we know our feelings aren't always right. You know your feelings aren't always right. You know that your mind has to be renewed, right? You know that. If you said to me today, well, I feel that, I feel that uh, if I drive towards Paradise Valley, I'm driving north, and that's my truth. Well, that might be your truth, but you're wrong. Well, you, who are you to tell me I'm wrong? I'm not telling you you're wrong, but there is a north and there is a south. So we're in a society today where you pick your own north, you pick your own south, you pick your own east, your own west. We have to be countercultural. You don't need to be dominating. You don't need to be oppressive. You don't need to be controlling. You need to be a godly person of faith that says there is a God, there is truth, there is a creator, and you are the creation. And his creation was created for a purpose. We didn't create ourselves. He created us. And I trust my creator. And I might not feel like everything is perfect because I was born into a broken world. And I may be broken in areas, but he heals the broken. He heals the things that nobody thinks can be healed. Let's be the people that trust God. Let's be the people who give our worry to the Lord. Let's give the people, let's be the people who say, God, you're going to build the house and you're going to guard the city. Because if you don't, we're wasting our time. Notice that the person who doesn't trust in God works hard, just as hard, if not harder than everybody else. But it's not hard work that saves you. It's faith that saves us. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Let's get rid of vanity. Let's get rid of pride. Let's put our hope in a living God. Amen. Stand up with me today.